Hey everyone, welcome to episode six of Adult Happy Hour. It is our season finale for season one, and tonight our topic is relationships. <sighs> Welcome everyone. Before we jump into our episode, just want to say a quick word. I am not a sex therapist or a sex educator. I am simply someone who enjoys talking about all things sensuality, eroticism, uh, sexual pleasure, and sexual health. These are messy conversations about sex um, that are necessary in order for us to ensure that we are defining what pleasure means to us. Um, And as this is our first season, we welcome feedback, especially as it pushes us to be more inclusive. In the future, I hope to be able to provide you with a plethora of resources and to have guests on the show who are experts in these topics. We appreciate your patience with us in advance. All right. So tonight we are exploring relationships and um, different intimate relationship structures. So we're going to talk about the spectrum from celibacy to monogamy and polyamory. And then I'm going to share a little bit about my experiences um, with polyamory in particular. So I want to be clear that we're not talking about platonic connections or familial connections, but tonight we're really we're really focused focusing in on our intimate relationships. So I pulled the definition for um, monogamy, polyamory, and celibacy from dictionary.com, and I am going to read them to you now. So um, first is monogamy. Monogamy is defined as the practice or state of having one relationship with one partner only. Polyamory is characterized by or involved in the practice of engaging in multiple romantic and typically sexual relationships with the consent of all people involved. And then celibacy, well, that there's a caveat to that, but we're, we'll talk about that when we get deeper into it. And then celibacy is the state of abstaining from uh, marriage and sexual relationships. And so this can also run the spectrum of being for religious reasons or if you identify as asexual, um, you may actively decide not to engage in those type of relationships. So one of the reasons that I really wanted to talk about relationships as our final topic for season one is because I think that oftentimes we take um, monogamy to be the standard. Monogamy is widely practiced, um, especially in uh, Western white cultures um, and heavily influenced by um, religious values and patriarchy. And um, I think that before we even like fully know ourselves or step into our wants and needs and relationships, we are being sent messages uh, about monogamy by different people in our lives, whether it's our parents or whether it's the media um, or social media these days, like relationship goals, all that kind of stuff. Um, A lot of it has to do with the standard of Um, being in a monogamous relationship or partnership with one other person. And um, one of the things that I have come to realize is that um, monogamy just doesn't really personally work for me. And it took me a lot of self-learning, self-actualization to um, come to that. Um, One of the things that I, I might talk about a little bit more later is that I've actually like cheated on all of my previous um, partners that I had when I was a young person. And I think that um, I I dealt with a lot of guilt around having desires and feelings for other people. And so when I found uh, polyamory, 
Um, I was like 26 years old um, and had been practicing monogamy or trying to practice monogamy for most of my life um, and just feeling a lot of guilt and shame around those desires. So when I finally jumped into polyamory, it wasn't in the best way, but through the practice of exploration, learning, um, I have been able to do a lot of healing around my own relationship trauma. And I think I've also just been able to really define what relationships should look like for me personally, um, which probably also led to this podcast. So yes, I wanted to start with just thinking about not taking monogamy as the standard. And so as I was putting this episode together, I was thinking about um, three things that can sort of get in the way of our self-exploration as we are um, practicing monogamy as a, as an unconscious standard versus really deciding that that's what's for us. So uh, there, there are three things that I learned um, when I stopped taking monogamy as the standard. And the first one is uh, I think that monogamy can be oppressive to women. And um, I, so I talk, I've talked a lot about like growing up in, in um, church and I'm still a very religious person. I still believe in Jesus um, amongst other things. But uh, growing up in organized religion, there was always this like super pressure around marriage and relationships and the role of a wife is to like stand behind her husband and um to cook and clean and take care of kids and as i've gotten older i've had to do a lot of unlearning around these ideas i remember when i was in my teens i used to think by the time i was 30 i would have my whole entire life figured out, planned out, mapped out, I would be married with kids and and the rest of my life I would just be coasting and sailing. And like one that doesn't leave a lot of opportunity for me to think about my growth and um, self-exploration if I were continuing to practice that. But then I think too, there's a lot of um, like there's a lot of smog within those gender roles. And a lot of that just doesn't really resonate with me. So um, for me, being on the outside of monogamy, I've been able to do a lot of work around what does a healthy relationship look like for me um, in my femininity and in my womanhood and my sensuality in ways that um, I wasn't necessarily able to do before. The second thing that I think can get in the way is that um, when we practice monogamy as the standard, it condemns people who have different needs from the norm. And so I talked a little bit about like my desires and me cheating in other uh, relationships. And um, I think there's like a natural curiosity that we have as human beings when it comes to connecting with other people and belonging to them. And so uh, in preparing for this pot, this episode, I found a, re- a research study, which um, fe- it was published in 2015 in the Journal of Sex Research, and it found that 30 to 75 percent of men and 20 to 68 percent of women in the Western world have experienced some sort of infidelity. The reason the numbers are so broad is because people report infidelity differently. For some, it means sexual intercourse. For others, it could mean like watching porn or having a celebrity crush. But the researchers said that when they looked at the numbers of infidelities committed through standard sexual intercourse, these rates were actually much higher. And so I think desire, attraction, those are very natural human emotions that um, when we're practicing monogamy as the standard, we can feel a lot of guilt and shame about. And so um, practicing polyamory may allow us the opportunity to uh, be really honest about those desires with our partner. And then the last thing that can get in the way is, um, so with non-monogamy, it allows us to explore our desires in a healthy way without feeling bad. So it gets rid of that shame and that guilt, um, and it allows us to, again, just be really honest with people about what we are feeling, 
thinking and desiring in that relationship and realizing that just because that may change and often it changes, it doesn't mean that the relationship has to end or maybe it does, but that there is conversation necessary and communication necessary to make sure that everyone is getting what they need. Um, In the same vein, I want to also talk about what I have learned when I stopped taking monogamy as the standard. So the first thing is radical honesty. Um, If you look up the definition for radical honesty, it's going to be a little bit different. There's like a whole mindfulness school and practice to radical honesty, and I'll put a link to that in our show notes. Um, But my husband and I have come up with our own definition of radical honesty that we practice in our relationship. And it means being honest 100% about your desires, not telling white lies for the other person's comfort. And then I have in, um, in my poetry and in my writing, I explore this idea often, but the idea that truth is liberty to lovers um, because it allows for true consent. And so just understanding that once everyone has all the information that they need, um, it allows them to make their own decisions about how they want to engage in a relationship or in an experience and really truly say a full-bodied yes to that relationship or experience. Um, The second thing that I've learned when I stopped practicing monogamy as a standard is um, around jealousy. So often when I tell people that I'm poly, um, the very first questions I get are about jealousy. And I think that there are some misconceptions about polyamorous people, and that's that we don't experience jealousy at all or that we shouldn't be jealous at all. I know when I started um, exploring polyamory, I thought that I shouldn't be jealous or if I was, like there was a problem with me. But jealousy is also a very natural emotion and it takes communication with your partner to be able to talk through those things. Um, But one thing that's helped me with conceptualizing jealousy um, is practicing detachment. So in um, the Buddhist religion, there is a theory of attachment or detachment um, where Basically, it just means that nothing in this world belongs to you and everything is an experience. And so I think sometimes when we think of those attachments, we think about things, we think about um, our home, we think about uh, maybe like work or ideas about ourselves, but I think also like that extends to our partners and even to our children. Like none of those things in this world belong to us. And once you're able to accept that fact and be mindful about it, then you're able to sort of allow people the space to be exactly who they are, regardless of their flaws um, and regardless of how their desires may impact you positively or negatively. Um, And so for me, I understand that while my husband is my husband for now, he may not be my husband forever, and that's okay. Our relationship may change. It may grow, expand, shrink. It's going to go through seasons. And all I can really do is allow him the space to be his freest, most liberated version of himself and to experience him um, in that way. And then the third thing, good segue, is around liberation and healing. And so one of my favorite things that I've learned um, through practicing non-monogamy or um, not taking monogamy as a standard is just like I've been able to deeply practice boundary setting with people um, outside of my relationship. So my husband and I have been together since he was 21 and I was around 22, 23 years old. And um, being together so young and being in a monogamous relationship in the beginning of our relationship, um, even though we love each other so much, there was just so many things that we didn't really get to experience. And before I met my husband, um, I I was in a number of toxic and even abusive relationships. And so when I met him, um, there was some healing around being loved by him that was really beautiful. And the connection we have is so special. But I think... Um, 
by practicing non-monogamy, I've been able to really analyze some of those patterns that I had in my younger years and do the work of boundary setting and moving past those toxic uh, relationship patterns so that I could truly like grow as a human being. Okay, so we asked the people on the internet um, what they thought about polyamorous relationships or non-monogamous relationships. And girl, um, I'm looking at Rihanna in the studio. These uh, answers is so interesting. So I said, have you ever been curious about non-monogamy slash polyamory? 73% of people said yes, and 27% of people said no. I asked people, have you ever been in a non-monogamous or polyamorous polyamorous relationship? And 36% of people said yes, and 64% of people said no. Then I asked folks, um, have you ever cheated or had desires outside of your relationship? And 60% of people said yes, and 40% of people said no. So again, I think I think that this um, just shows that like there is a natural human curiosity um, when it comes to being in or having multiple partners, multiple desires. Um, and again, monogamy is often taken as the standard in our society. And so I think the more information we have, the more pushing of our own exploration and boundaries that we can do and really settle on, if it's monogamy for you, that is great. But there are, uh, are so many different ways to have intimate relationships with people. And I want to get into some of those now. Actually, before we get into that, let's take some questions from our online audience. So I asked the people on the internet to send in their questions with regard to polyamory, and I'm going to talk a little bit about my experiences and my opinions. But remember, if you want to join the conversation, um, first follow me at Poetry and Tings, and then tune in every Thursday to my story where we get into um, just, you know all of the stuff, all of the things. So um, the first question, as I predicted, is how do you overcome jealousy? So going back to my answer that I talked about before, I don't think that jealousy is something that you overcome necessarily. I think it's something that you just have to accept. It's part of our natural human experience to feel jealousy um, and Note that jealousy comes from ego. It doesn't come from love. And so once you accept it, um, you can interrogate it and ask where it's coming from and really think about it yourself. And then I would say the next thing I do is just talk to my partner about my jealousy. So if it's so pervasive that I can't stop thinking about it, um, I'll have a conversation with my partner. And sometimes... um, in having those conversations, I realize that um, the jealousy is like a red flag or something in my gut telling me that something is off and it's something that me and my partner need to talk about. And then sometimes it just reiterates the fact that it is from my ego that I can fully trust him and that he will be honest with me. Um, and so having a conversation after accepting it and thinking about it is how I deal with jealousy. Another person asked, um, what are the boundaries in your relationship? And this is a great question um, because setting boundaries has been, oh man, one of the most like beautiful learning lessons and the most fucking awkward thing ever. So I would say that my um, mine and my partner's boundaries have definitely developed uh, through the journey of trying this together. But um, I, so I made a list actually, I'm just going, I'm just going to go to it. So um, one of the boundaries that he has is not doing anything in our home. So we set up our home as like a sanctuary for the two of us. And just like not having people in that space is really important to him. Um, He also, one of his boundaries is don't do anything that you haven't done with me yet or are not 
willing to do with me yet. Um, <laughs> there's, uh, well, I think in season two, we're going to talk more about things like anal play, but I think that was just with regard to that. Cause we hadn't really done a lot of that in our relationship, but you know, we've been trying things. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Anyway. Um, and then the last thing is like uh, his boundary is don't lie and be honest. Like if he asks me something just to tell him and not like hold back the truth about it. Um, my boundaries are no exes or colleagues. Um, he has a job where he has to like work late and be around people a lot. And it's very, it can be very intimate, very like Grey's Anatomy. He works in the hospital. And so, um, I just, yeah, that's one of my boundaries. And then, um, Another boundary I have is I don't need to know everything. So he wants to know everything. I don't need to know everything. I just want him to tell me if it's more than a fling. So if he's just going on dates with someone or just um, casually seeing them, like, I I just need to know that he's doing that. I don't want to know every detail of it. But if it turns into something more, I would like to know. And then um, the third boundary I have is actually just between me and him, and that's investing in the before care and the after care. Um, And when we talk a little bit more um, later on in the episode, I'll go into detail about what that before and after care looks like. All right. The last question for this section is, um, what's something you enjoy about polyamory? And I really love this question because sometimes the questions are a lot about the like not so positive things or the very serious things that I have to do. And polyamory is really fun. So I think one of the funnest things for me or the thing that I enjoy most is just like getting to connect with people. So I find a lot of inspiration from my polyamorous relationships. I write about them a lot in my poetry. Um, I'm always writing about love and boys and girls and everyone in between. <laughs> and like, I just learn a lot about myself through um, talking to other people and connecting with them. And everyone brings something so different to my life, whether it's their interests or their philosophies or, um, you know, the work that they do, whatever the case may be. I just love having those connections with people and not feeling um, bad or like they might be inappropriate, but really just allowing myself to explore what those connections are and the nuances of how I feel about different people. So I I love it. It's so fun. And even getting my heart broken um, because that happens too. But um, even through that, I learn a lot about myself. Okay, so now let's get into the different types of polyamorous relationships. Um, So I pulled this from a resource, and I need to actually look at the person's name because, okay, so it's from a relationship researcher named Franklin Vo, and um, it's actually an infographic. So I'm going to put this in um, the show notes. There's also this really wonderful infographic from The Ethical Slut, which is a book that um, everyone should read because it's amazing, um, about the varieties of different relationships. So um, some of the research for tonight is from those two people and things. They'll be in the show notes. Um, So there are so many different types of uh, relationships and um, even from monogamy and celibacy, but we're going to focus in on polyamorous relationships. So the first type of polyamorous relationship that um, I want to talk about is um, dating around. So dating around means going on dates with other people um, and can be in your exclusive relationship if you and your partner have decided that you're still going to date other people but only physically or sexually be with sexually be with one another or it can be um, before you and your partner have decided to be exclusive which is one of the um, more represented types of dating around. Um, Next, I want to define ethical non-monogamy. So in ethical non-monogamy, that is a polyamorous relationship where everyone knows what is going on and is 
uh, a fully consenting party in the non-monogamy. Um, <laughs> on the flip side of that, <laughs> there is another type of polyamorous relationship that is cheating, and this is the opposite of ethical non of ethical non-monogamy. So this is where you have one person or both people who have agreed to be in an exclusive relationship, but are still talking to, lusting after, sliding in the DMs, fucking, dating, or whatever the whatever you consider cheating, still doing that. Um, I have been cheated on. It is one of the most horrible, heartbreaking things to go through. And um, I, did, I did not enjoy it. I have also been the person doing the cheating. Um, and it just made me feel really guilty and shameful. So I don't enjoy it. If you do, I don't know. I, I try not to judge, but yeah. I, anyway, I'm I'm just going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it out there. I don't condone it, but we'll leave that there. Next is um, open relationships. So sometimes people use um, polyamory and um, open relationships as synonymous, but I would say that polyamory is an umbrella term and open relationships is like one type of polyamory. So in an open relationship, um, usually this means that two people have agreed to be romantically monogamous with each other, but are open to having sexual connections with other people. With that, there is also swinging so swinging is a form of open relationship in which the partners in a committed relationship engage in sexual activities with others at the same time. And then under that um, swinging, there is open swinging and closed swinging. So open swinging means that you and your partner are open for other people to join you. Closed swinging can mean two things. Either you're not open for others to join. So you may have like a designated couple um, that you have chosen to swing with or a designated group of people, but those are the only people. And then um, it could also mean that you are engaging in group sex um, in that you are physically present with other people while they're having sex, but you and your partner are only engaging with one another. Um, another type of polyamory is don't ask, don't tell, which is such a loaded term. Um, but in this uh, definition, it means that you are aware that you and your partner are non-monogamous and you're okay with it, but you don't want to know anything about what they're doing. I think when I first uh, started thinking about polyamory, that's what I thought I wanted from my husband. But um, after him engaging in another relationship, I realized like it's not health. It's not healthy for our relationship if we're not able to practice that radical honesty. So I've grown a little bit in my conceptualization of that. Don't ask, don't tell. But um, I don't need to know everything, but I do want to know some things. But some people don't want to know anything, and that's okay too. Um, and then there is unicorn polyamory. So that means that there's one other person that's engaging with you and your partner, or maybe you are the other person that is engaging with um, uh, a partnership of, of people. And um, <laughs> when I first started like dating and being on the scene and being in the, uh, people call it the lifestyle, um, I signed up for this app called Field, and I also signed up for Tinder, too. And um, I put on my profile that I was polyamorous, and um, a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of women, because I was looking for um, connections with women at that time, uh, were reaching out to me and um, asking me to, like, be with them and their partner. And I was like, no, bitch, I just want to be with you. Um, so I ended up having to put on my profile that I am not a unicorn, nor am I into that. But I think one day I would like to try it. It just, you know, I would, I would just like to make my connections with a woman first and then we'll go from there. Um, 
just a little bit about me anyway. So there's, there's two other types. There's the 100 mile rule, which, um, for people that means when they're traveling or away from their partner, they might engage in, um, polyamory. And this is not like a rule for my relationship, but I do find that, um, when I'm traveling, I do tend to like meet people. (laughs) Um, and I do enjoy like maintaining those connections sometimes. Um, and then the last one is polyfidelity. And so, um, with polyfidelity, this is practiced in some like religions or, um, faith-based groups or cults. And this is where you have, uh, like you have, committed to a group of people, or you might have a situation like sister wives or something like that. So it's understood that you guys are all like sharing partners or a partner. Um, but outside of that relationship would be considered like cheating. All right. So I want to say too, that these are just some of the different types of polyamory. I, I chose the ones that are um, maybe the most recognizable, but there are other types as well. And I hope in season two, we'll come back to this topic and we'll get even deeper into it and talk to some other people about their experiences with polyamory. Because one of the other things that I've learned is that there's a lot of polyamorous people out here, y'all. Like we, we out here strong, but I think for me, it took me a long time to, um, tell people that I was polyamorous. I actually still haven't even told my parents. Um, my sister knows and my cousins know, but, um, you know, it, it's just, it can be a hard thing for people to grapple with and understand. And while I'm figuring out what I believe in and want from my polyamory, I don't necessarily want the opinions of other people. So I've been a little bit slower to tell people. Um, but in my relationship structure, and I don't even know if this is a word, but me and my husband might, um, have decided that this is what works for us. We are monogamish. So this means that there are times where we're actively dating other people, having sex with other people, having romantic or sexual desire, interest, experiences with others. And then there are other times and seasons um, when we're not actively dating or having sex with people. So um, during the summer, I would say I was definitely having a hot girl summer and was dating and seeing people and having um, different connections. And I, I went on dates with men and women and it was really beautiful. Um, but earlier in the winter, like in January, I, um, took a pause from polyamory and I decided to spend, um, a month being celibate. So my husband and I were away from each other. So I was celibate for a month and just like thinking about me and doing some self-work. And then when I came back with him, I just wanted to, you know, just uh, be really intentional about our bond and connection. So I wasn't polyamorous at that time and I wasn't seeing anyone either. So um, in order for my husband and I to be able to define what polyamory looks like for us, um, it's taken a lot of individual work. And so um, we we had a, a, a situation last year that was really tricky for us to navigate. And um, we actually went to a relationship therapist. Um, and one of the first things our relationship therapist told us is that she really didn't want to see us together because it was very clear to her very early in the conversation that um, we had been together for, so we've been together for 10 years, but um, of that time, most of it was spent in our 20s. So my husband and I have been together um, before we really truly like knew ourselves and knew our um our own like desires and thoughts. So she suggested that instead of doing couples therapy, that we do individual therapy instead. So we've both been in individual therapy and part of the work that we're both doing with our therapist is, um, well, I won't talk about him cause he didn't consent to that. But for me, it's, um, looking at polyamory and how to engage with it in a healthy way. And so, um, when I, 
first started talking to my therapist about this, one of the first things she did was ask me, like, how do relationships usually go for me? And uh, when she said it back to me, um, I realized that I sort of have a framework of how I engage in relation in intimate relationships with people. And she repeated it back as tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four. Um, and I love that because I'm a Virgo. So, you know, anything analytical, I'm like, yes, bitch, give it to me. Help me understand me. So in tier one, usually it's flirting, vibing, connecting. I meet a lot of people on Instagram. Some of y'all be sliding in my DMs without my consent. Um, and I don't love it, but there are some people that, um, do ask for my consent and I'm like, actually you're cute. So I'm into it. And then I think just in being like out and about when it's not Corona times, um, I meet a lot of people like through my artistry, et cetera, that I'm interested in. And then in tier two, it's usually establishing boundaries. So like before, We move into dating, like officially going on dates is what that means for me, or officially like talking and exploring our connection. I'll usually tell people that I'm polyamorous. I'll usually tell people what my boundaries are with my husband and I. I'll ask them um, their thoughts about it. And usually people, actually, I don't think I've ever had a situation where someone was like, I'm not into that in tier one, in tier one. (laughs) Once you get deeper into the relationship with people and they really realize what it is to be polyamorous, they might change their mind. But in tier one, when it's all about the attraction and desire, usually I, I don't have an issue with that. And then in tier three, Um, This is where there's, there may be some like physical intimacy or romantic intimacy. So um, it can take me, I know I talk a lot about sex, but it could take me a little while to um, warm up to people. And so usually I want to like kiss, hold hands, cuddle, you know, just see how you feel first before I'm ready to cross that line. And also like, I need to know that you're not afraid to like share your feelings, to be really honest with me about what you're experiencing. And once all those things I know are in place and the communication is good, then I might be ready to move to tier four. And that's full physical intimacy. So having sex with someone. And there's been very few people in my polyamorous experience that I've been ready to cross that line with. Um, Three people. (laughs) In my time of being poly. Um, yeah, so it it takes me a little while to get there. But once that's in place, we good. So that was helpful to hear that back from her. Um, she also asked me what I wanted. And I was like, mm, I guess just looking to see like where my connections lead with people. And then she was like, well, do you want a boyfriend or a girlfriend? And immediately I was like, no, <laughs> I do not want a boyfriend or a girlfriend. That sounds way too serious. I'm not here for that. No, thank you. Um, And she said, sometimes it's important to know what you don't want so you can get what you do want. And I was like, bitch, this is like tea. Like I should have had you in the beginning of my polyamorous exploration because you're just, just putting everything back to me. So um, once I knew that I did not want a boyfriend or a girlfriend, then I realized that um, I'm really just out here looking for short-term flings that result in dope connections, but not a relationship. Um, and flings that might lead to physical intimacy or maybe just a dope friendship where we bro- both like learn and grow. And my first thought after I said that out loud to her was, but isn't that, like, selfish? Like, is that not considering the other person, like, enough? And she was basically like, girl, my therapist is black. I love her so much. Oh, my God. I swear we're best friends. But she sends me a bill every other week, so we can't be that close. But I love her to death. And she said, girl, um... It's only selfish if you lie to people about what you want. So it's important for you to figure out what your wants, goals, and desires are so that you can very clearly communicate those to other people. Because if you're just out here confused, if you're just out here, you know, being willy-nilly about stuff, like that is selfish because you haven't done the self-work of figuring out 
um, how to clarify your boundaries and needs with people. And so that's going to cause confusion and heartbreak, etc. But if you know that's what you want and you tell people, then they can make the decision for themselves about whether or not that's what they want to be involved with. And it's a continuous decision. It's not just like I decided one time and it's going to all be okay. But people can change their mind. Um, and once they clarify their needs and boundaries, um, it will either deepen the relationship relationship or like all things in life, it has to come to an end. Um, and we have to be okay with that. So shout out to my therapist. Thank you, girl. I love you so much. You'll probably never hear this, but I just want you to know. All right. (laughs) Um, uh, I also wanted to talk about, um, so one of the things that my husband and I have been doing together is this attachment theory workbook. And I don't remember the author of it right now, but I know it's called the attachment theory workbook. It's, it's white and it has a uh, green and yellow lettering. It's on Amazon. I think it's like $15 or something like that. But, um, in the workbook, it goes over the different attachment styles that people have and how those styles might have been informed by your own um, trauma or your own um, experiences in life. And then it walks you through exercises and activities to help you better understand the root of those attachment styles and the things that you need to like move past them. And so my husband and I have been doing this together since um, July and it's almost September now. And we've just been learning so much about each other and learning so much about how our needs differ from one another, um, how our attachments come from different places. And we just have this like really strong framework for empathy towards one another to be really considerate about what the other person needs in order to form a secure attachment. Um, Like I said, our connection is really strong. We both love each other very, very much. Um, But there are some areas of our relationship where our attachment can be unhealthy and insecure. And so through doing this workbook together, we've been able to really target those areas as individuals and together. And it's been just really beautiful. Like the closeness that I felt to him in the last few months um, has just continued to deepen. So I recommend that book to everyone, whether you're monogamous or poly or celibate. It's just a really beautiful um workbook to like learn more about yourself and your partner potentially. And then um the other thing is so having poly friends has been also transformational for us because it's taught me that everyone's version of polyamory is different and relationships are all different and that's okay. But there are some like best practices and lessons learned that you can learn from having conversations with other people about their polyamorous relationships. And one of the best strategies and tools that I've gotten for um, specifically for dealing with jealousy is before and after care. So, um, when so what before and after care is is before someone has an experience or a relationship with someone you and your partner sit down with one another and talk about like how they're feeling about it it gives space to talk about those feelings of potential jealousy or any worries that they might have before going into the situation and then you determine like here are the things that i need and the boundaries that i need from you going into this so before you engage in this experience or relationship and then also you talk about your aftercare plan and i think that that's even more important because sometimes um you might know that your person is like going going on a date with someone or going to have sex with someone. And that could feel really jarring. And when they come back, you might wonder, like, do they still love me? Am I still the most important person? Like, all of these things might be swirling through your head. But if you know, like, here's what I need from you after you engage in this with another person, um, then you can just uh, create those secure attachments and know that that person is willing to still give you what they need, even though they might be giving parts of their self to other people. So for me, my aftercare looks like I want my husband to like be very cuddly with me. I need to know that he's still 
physically like there and present. I think physical touch is like one of my love languages. So um, I just want him to make the time and space. Oh, quality time is one of them too. I want him to make the time and space to be really soft, romantic, and sensual with me um, so that I know I can feel that like security in our relationship. Um, and everyone needs different things. He, his, his, um, after, before and after care needs are different. Like he wants to know, he wants to sit down and like talk about everything. He want to know, like, <laughs> this might be TMI, but he want to know how many times I came. He want to know how, how the person touched me. He want to know it, like what I ate <laughs> like on the date, what questions were asked. He just wants to know everything. He is Sagittarius, like y'all. So like he wants to know all, all of it. And I don't really need that. I just need to feel his presence. Um, so yeah, before and after care works well. Um, these are just some of the things that I have found have worked for me. Like I said, in season two, I want to talk to more polyamorous folks about how their relationships move and operate. Um, but if you're interested and have more questions, you know where to find me. Um, that's going to bring us to our final segment, which is Pillow Talk with Lynn, my favorite. Let's get into it. Hey, Lynn. Boo, congrats on season one. This has been such a labor of love, and I'm so proud of you. So I'm talking about relationships, and I'm talking about relationships, um, a married relationship going to a non-monogamous one. Um, from monogamy to non-monogamy and um, we are journeying through it right now and um, our foundation is really rooted in deep love and care so I have had to learn um, how important it really is to do my own self-work and healing traumas that I may hold um, because when you're opening up your relationship you realize that you're going to encounter, you know, like so many feelings and it's important to notice how they affect you and communicate that you're struggling. Um, no matter how you may feel, because communication is key, like no matter how you may like judge your thoughts or if you think that they're bad feelings, like there's no such thing as a bad feeling. You just want to feel heard and to also be soothed like that's all we want right like we want to be able to come to an understanding um and so reassuring my inner child that i'm safe and that i'm loved when jealousy does come up um, and anxiety for the future and how it may look has really eased my spirit um and i just love my husband like so fucking much um and i just want to be there for him like the way that he's there for me all the time. And I want him to be able to go out and feel supported and come home and feel like so welcome with open arms. And he just does that for me effortlessly. So cheers. Oh, I love that so much. I think um, that's just a really great reflection about how um, love is such a pure emotion that can help us overcome our jealousies to really allow people the space to be exactly who they are. And I believe firmly that jealousy is not a measure of our love, but of our ego and that love can overcome jealousy. So thank you for sharing that reflection with us. Let's listen uh, to the next person. So I'm definitely dating differently. Um, and it starts with accepting people for who they are. And I think in the past, like if someone didn't communicate well or if they only wanted to hang out and, and it kind of made me feel bad about like doing stuff outside of my home at, at before 12 a.m. <laughs> Be like, OK, well, I just really want companionship or maybe we can make this work. It could show up in this way. But now I'm like, no, like I, I need someone who cares about me, cares about themselves. Um, it, they might not have to have a 
particular job for the rest of their life. They can make changes, but the quality is that they always make it work and they always find a solution for the problem. Um, a lot knowing I'll notice to see if like a man knows how to process his own emotions. Right. And it's friendly because (laughs) no, I, I analyze all of this in my head and when someone shows up that's naturally like all of these things, and then I, I then allow the space to for us to get to know each other more if they want to get to know me. Um, I'm also taking a lot of intentional time to listen to men, to love on men as friends, my friends, right? What do you need? What do you, what are you not being heard? What can I do better? Because I want men to show up better. I have to also put in that work. I'll even watch movies made by all men and just see how they they show the characters, how they display women and men and and things. And I'm I'm really getting into the minds because I I'm intentional about making being in something that's healthy and and, and showing up in my best best self. And if not, I have no. They might not even know that I've been considering all these things, but I have no problem with just being a great friend to men who are not really ready to to love or to care someone. But I don't feel pressured or I don't feel like there's no option like for me and I just have to take this or I have to take that and it be something small that you end up really hating down the road. Um because you ignored it for one reason or another. Um, I desire to be loved, to be considered, to just hit me up and be like, I want to hang out with you. Let me know. I really like what's on your mind. I really enjoy my time with you. Here's 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 what I envision for myself. Here's how I like to show up as a man. Here's how I like, uh, here's what I like from the women who I date or who the women who I want to be with. Like these, these like real concrete things. Um, I'm a grown ass woman, baby. I'm 30. Uh, and I'm, I'm ready for grown and sexy. Sis, I love that for you so much. And honestly, um, I have learned a lot from watching you um, shift into that mindset and shift your practice around dating. It's helped me a lot, even in my polyamorous relationships. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. I love you. Thank you guys for calling in. We also have some people on Instagram who um, wanted to share some of their thoughts and experiences. So um, one person said... I've never been in a polyamorous relationship and really only saw it as something most guys considered from a very privileged and egotistical viewpoint of infidelity and controlling aspect. But from previous adult happy hours, I believe you spoke on polyamory and how you and your partner go about it. And I believe if it comes from a place of respect and constant conversation and curiosity and understanding, it makes sense for people to connect with more than one person because the world is filled with interesting people that you just vibe with, not just platonically, but intimately speaking, it makes sense. The world must evolve beyond binary measures for sure. Oh, Poppy, I love you so much for that. Thank you for writing that to me. Um, another person wrote in, and ooh, she I know this is a Sagittarius too, because she got a whole uh list. So she said, one, I don't like slash want to live in home with an additional partner. It's two, it's been a huge and humbling test of my ego and how I move in the world in relation to others. Three, I've solidified the boundaries of who is allowed the privilege of my time. Yes, thank you. Four, I've learned to be more direct and less abrasive. There are more feelings to consider, multiple long-term partners, so I try to leave more space to be understanding and empathetic. To y'all who are managing those multiple long-term connections, more power to you. I cannot, but I believe in you. So another person said, this is funny. I actually met this guy on Tinder and um, I was so interested in him because he was also polyamorous. But he said, being poly has helped me isolate what my own issues were and what I've been socially determined to feel. Mm. 
For example, being poly hasn't completely gotten rid of jealousy, but I've noticed how I was taught to feel jealousy just because a woman was expressing her autonomy. I have insecurities and trauma from past relationships, but now instead of expecting my relationship status to make me feel comfortable and solve my problems, I actually talk to my partners about what I feel and why I feel it. I can figure out what conversations I need to have now that I'm not personally letting the expectations surrounding a relationship status to do the work for me. Yes. Ooh, them expectations. Oh, ooh, them expectations. Letting go of those can be so difficult. But once you do, you just find you can really experience people in a really beautiful way and and love them, not just for the ideals you have of them, but also for who they truly are, their flaws, all of that beautiful stuff that makes us who we are. And you also, when you do that, you leave more space for compassion and empathy for yourself as well. Um, So the last person said, I think I want to go back to open slash poly. I've learned so much about self-acceptance and compassion from my open relationships. Thank you for writing that in. I'm so interested to hear about your experiences once you go back to it. And I'm in a season of um, I'm probably not going to be being polyamorous for the next few months of my life um, because there's lots of new beginnings and things happening. Um, But in a couple months or a few years or whenever I determine that it is the best thing for me, I'm excited to see where that journey takes me and I'll cross that bridge when I get there. But I've also learned a lot about myself and um, have really valued a lot of the lessons that I've learned. All right, y'all, this episode going to be long because we got some good questions too on the internet. So I'm going to talk through some of them. Um, So someone asked me, um, what have you learned? And um, I want to answer this question again. I did talk a little bit about it in the beginning, but there's two things that I want to add on. So I think one of the things that I've learned about myself is that I have an enormous capacity to love people. And I used to feel really bad about this when I was practicing monogamy, because like I said, I cheated on people and I I wasn't honest about my attractions, desires, or even about like inappropriate situations that I was trying to figure out. But I think through polyamory, I've realized that I just have a lot of love to give. I love connecting with people. I love belonging to people. I'm a hopeless romantic. And now that I am practicing softness with myself, I can really explore this and not feel bad about it. Um, The second thing that I think I've learned is I used to think that polyamory was something that I was doing or trying. And now I think what I've learned about myself is that I actually am polyamorous. And so for me, it's not just about the practice. It's about the philosophy. It's about the theory. It's about the embodiment of who I am as a person. I think I will always have attractions and desires for other people. And that's something that's been hard to grapple with in my relationship with um, my husband in particular, because I don't know that he necessarily sees himself that way. I think it's something that he's experimenting with and trying and like, that's okay. But I do, I identify as polyamorous versus it just being something that I'm trying. And okay, somebody else asked me, what has been the best experience with polyamory and what's been the worst? I think the best experience has been, um, I had a partner not too long ago who was also um, experimenting with polyamory and um, we just had like really dope like communication. We just, the way that we were able to talk about feelings, to be romantic with each other, it, um, it was really, really beautiful and special. At the same time, I had a sexual attraction to him and a platonic one. I wasn't necessarily romantically interested in him. And um, even just being able to say that openly, like, was really, really beautiful. And I loved it. But that relationship has since ended. And it was a little sad. I, I would say that that's one of the worst 
parts is just like there's there can be a lot of heartbreak um and uh when I first started being polyamorous, I dated a lot of people who weren't poly, but who said that they wanted to try it. And I think that a lot of times people didn't really know what they were getting themselves into. Like, I'm never going to leave my husband. You can never talk shit about him. That's actually like a huge red flag for me if you start to talk badly about my husband or my other partners. So, um, one of the worst experiences is just navigating those relationships. And since then, I've kind of stopped dating people who are not polyamorous. Um, and I'll date people who have either decided to be non-monogamous because maybe they're like young and they don't want to be in a relationship or they're also poly. But um, I've enjoyed those connections. Um, another question that I got is... How do you meet other poly people? Oh, it's so hard because there's a lot of secrecy. <laughs> like not everyone is just like out with their polyamory about that. I will say recently I went to this really cool like discussion that was around sex and dating and courting. And it was just in the kind of environment where other people could reveal that they were polyamorous and I did too. So I met a few people there who were poly. I meet a lot of people on Instagram because I'm um, pretty open in my story and close friends about being poly. So it's kind of allowed other people to let me know like what their relationship preferences are. And then um, I have used apps like Tinder and Field. Um, for the first time, actually last year in 2020, I was a Tinder virgin until 2020. And that was quite the experience. But I made um, some connections there with people that I really valued. Um, somebody else said, nothing to ask. I'm about that life. <laughs> Thank you for letting me know. I will take that into consideration. <laughs> um, okay. And then, um, yeah, I think that's the last question. So we're going to now get into my closing thoughts. And um, I think... Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm in a season of like I said new beginnings. I'm starting school. I um my family's expanding. I got a dog, etc. and like I'm just really interested in being present in my life right now. Um and so I have learned not to force polyamory. I'm not like out actively looking for connections. And so right now it just feels like a season of monogamy for that. And so I'm going to embrace that fully the way that I try to like live my life. And if I find a connection with someone that I think is meaningful enough to explore, I might reopen um, those boundaries of my relationship with a conversation with my partner first. But um, that's just the season that I'm in. Um, I think another thing that I am thinking a lot about is just like how we can how we can make sure that we are actively deciding that monogamy is for us versus just taking it to be the absolute truth of things um and challenging um ourselves to like grow and to um be active participants in our intimate relationships by deciding either that that's for us or that there are other things that we may want to explore. Um, I think the very last thing that I am thinking about is just how to make more um, space for people to ask questions and to come together as poly people because um, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and done a lot of internet reading, but I would love to have a community of people where we can share practices that we're trying with our partners, things that work and don't work. And so if you're poly and you're listening, hit me up. Let's be friends. Don't be weird. Um, but yeah, let's be friends. Let's talk more. And I'm excited to see uh, where I continue to grow in this area of my life. Um, thank you all so much for listening. That is a low-key wrap on season one of Adult Happy Hour. Um, should I tell them? 
Or should I let it be a surprise? I'm going to tell them because I said it. Okay. So we are actually going to do one more episode. It's going to be released two weeks from this episode's release date in September. Um, I opened up my story poll and y'all had a lot of questions for me about who I am, why I'm doing this. No, I'm kidding. It was mostly about just like my philosophies and preferences. So I want to honor all of those questions. And we're going to come together um, in two weeks and I'm going to answer. I can't say all of them because we got 200 questions, but I will, I'll try to sort through them and answer the most salacious, interesting, fun ones, and some of the ones that explore um, some of our maybe deeper or darker topics as well. So be on the lookout for that final episode of season one. And thank you guys so much for your love and support. We appreciate you beyond measure. Um, and we'll talk more about what we have planned for season two in two weeks. Before we go, want to give a few shout outs. First off, shout out to our sponsor, Fly Culture. Fly Culture is a platform for creatives securing dope spaces for hard conversation and liberation. Shout out to Rihanna Simone, our engineer, editor, and producer, and my sister in creativity. Last but not least, our theme song, Natural Phenomenon, also produced by Rihanna Simone, featuring the incredible voice of Tim Brielle. You can listen to the full track wherever you listen to your music. Um, and if you want to find, follow, and support us, you can find links to our email, website, and Instagram in the description for our episode. Thank you so much. <laughs>